0: Hey everyone, uh, I'm here just to invite you into the preview of our newest Patreon Overtime episode where we go over the first of three episodes of the decline of American Unionism. If you'd like the full episode, go ahead and head on over to patreon.com workstoppage and drop us $5 a month. Really helps us do the show and we really appreciate it. If for some reason you can't afford the $5 a month, go ahead and hop in the Discord over there is where we can hook you up, again, uh, if you can't afford the $5 a month. There should be a link in the description, and if there's not, which there should be, you should probably be able to find one in another episode description, I guarantee it. Uh, either way, we hope to see you in the Discord, it's free and for everyone, and as always, solidarity forever.
1: What I want to start with is that one of the features of the U.S. move labor movement in the U.S. that I feel like really distinguishes it from say the early labor movements in Europe is a really strong anti-socialist anti-communist bent right from the beginning like the biggest organizations in US labor history were had their leadership at least had pretty strong biases against like you know actual revolutionary organizing whether it be communist whether it be anarchist whether it be just generically socialist like for instance in in 1890 so this is you know in back in the 19th century adolf strasser who was an early leader of the afl and a what friend a name right holy shit <laughs> um who was a friend of 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 enemy of the show and u.s labor generally samuel gompers mm-hmm. who th- so this guy strasser declared during the 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 beginning phases of the the organization of the AFL, quote. We have no ultimate ends. We are going from day to day. We are fighting for immediate objects, objects that can be realized in a few years. And so that is to stand in contrast to socialist labor organizing, which was openly saying we are fighting for a different system. We are fighting for a system of production that is not based on the exploitation of man by man. It is that it is based on worker control uh, you know, of the shop floor, maybe even if you're not necessarily talking about you know worker control of the state, you're talking about like because you may, you may be talking about syndicalism. You may be talking about I mean some of the weird esoteric early forms of socialism like fucking Dillionism
0: uh, yeah, Georgeism was still popular <laughs> around this time, I think. as Right, well.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so like these AFL leaders like Strasser and Gompers were very very focused, especially when dealing with politicians on emphasizing that their movement the American Federation of Labor, no, no, we are focused on basically what today would be wages and benefits. Right. We are focused on immediate monetary improvement for the standard of living of our members. That's it. We're not looking to change the, the power relations. We're not looking to change the relations of production or any of that. We just want a bigger piece of the pie for the workers. Right. Which like- Wait. You hear that in
0: a lot of different rhetoric uh mm-hmm. basically anyone who isn't explicitly a Marxist at this point or or an anarchist like who isn't like almost a like on the revolutionary tendency is the you're gonna hear the kind of thing like this class collaborationist style rhetoric
1: right yeah exactly and so and I mean even continuing sixty five years later. Uh, George Meany, another enemy of the show who I talked about on the AFL-CIA episode quite Mm a bit, Um, he was head of the AFL-CIO and in 1955 said, quote, We are dedicated to freedom through a system of private enterprise. We believe in the American profit system. And so, like, that's at the height of the Red Scare. It's the height of McCarthyism, but, Mm -hmm. like... I'm sorry, if your labor organization is dedicated to the American profit system, that's gonna run up to some pretty big contradictions. Yeah. I mean, isn't that
0: the exact thing you're struggling against?
1: You would think. And so this <laughs> this is where we see like I think it's important to look at these. Like I don't want to focus too much on the individuals involved because this is sure. all structural forces. But like when we see this kind of rhetoric essentially the same general philosophy through 65 years, ups and downs, all sorts of different changes in the labor movement. And the AFL, the biggest federation of labor unions in the U.S. is consistently like this. And and I think we can look at this as really demonstrating the limitations of like what Lenin would have called pure trade union consciousness, which is I talked about that in the Lenin on the trade unions episode, mm-hmm. where he gets into this issue where if if your focus on worker liberation is confined purely to just trade union agitation and nothing else, you end up in this sort of like at best social democratic reformist form of politics where you may be trying to – genuinely trying to fight hard for, for workers in your industry and really trying to make their lives better. But if you don't have that broader outlook, you can't see the fundamental unshakable contradiction in capitalism that create is created between workers and bosses. And so if you don't take that into account, you're going to go down all these problematic roads and, and we're going to get into this in a bit, which is that leads to, a, as, as you were saying, Lena, a class collaborationist, approach which created what we'll get into in a bit here what has been called business unionism and so what this really highlights is that the upper echelons of u.s labor the people who have been in charge of the major labor unions have long fought to really prevent unified political action of the working class as a class rather instead preferring to promote this sort of like petty bourgeois idea of the American dream where everybody can work hard. You work at this place long enough. You get bit more wages. Then maybe you go out and you start your own business and you hire people and you become a capitalist or, or you buy a couple apartment buildings, you rent those out and then you rely on passive income. Yeah. We can
0: all own the means of production and (laughs) exploit other people. Even if they're already business owners and landlords, wait a minute,
1: but that's it i mean that's the thing it's like it's 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 it is it, i mean the way that you're saying it is, is really like yeah if you think about it for it's like hmm this kind of sounds like a pyramid scheme yeah, basically <laughs> next but, you'll be trying to sell me an ape a picture of an <laughs> ape <laughs> but i mean you can we can see this where like because we've talked about on the show before like for instance the illusions created in like the messaging around for instance truck drivers who get lured into being owner-operators, this idea mm-hmm. of being your own boss, this idea that every person can be a business owner, like this sort of thing that just ends up with a few people become exploiters of other people, and the rest get screwed. And that's been kind of the case <laughs> throughout this sort of
2: class collaborationist approach. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution? Sounds... get this, yeah Who are people gonna rise up and take what's there? Don't you know Talking about a revolution. Yes, finally the tables are starting to turn. Talking about a revolution. Oh, no. Talking about a revolution. Oh, rather standing in the welfare lines. Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation. Wasting time in the unemployment lines. Sitting around waiting for a about a real and giant sound.